Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Floa, uh, Fergie Miller. Fer- Fergie, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Great to be here, Josh. So for the listeners that may not be familiar with Floa Sports, how would you best describe your brand to them? So Floa is actually an old Norse or, or Scandinavian word for flow. Um, what we're doing is we're, we're building out a, an activewear business centered around this whole concept of being in flow, being in one with yourself, being in one with the world around you, um, being, uh, you know, forward, forward facing in the sports that you do every day. Uh, we're starting off in skiing and snowboarding. That's that's my background in, in winter sports. Uh, and we're starting off in base layers uh, or thermals, that first layer on the skin. We feel it's the most important. Um, and we're working hard at getting that right. Uh, but the goal is, is, is if we do do that well, is then build out into other product categories and other sports and, and build an international sportswear business. Interesting. So tell me a little bit about your, your background. I know Flow is based in the UK, but how did you get to this point of launching Floa? Yeah, well, I actually grew up in, in Japan uh, till I was about nine. That's where we lived as a family. So that's where I learned to ski, um, going for weekends out of Tokyo. Um, I came back, did some racing as a, as a young adult, uh, as a teenager in the UK, um, competed at sort of national level. Uh, when I was 19, I went over to Canada to take some instructor exams. Um, so I became a CSIA qualified uh, ski instructor. Um, and I was heading back for university and uh, the camp I'd been on, I'd loved it, uh, but there was nothing like it in, in Europe. So I said to myself then that when I graduated, I'd, I'd look at setting up a, a similar kind of course or instructor program. Uh, when I left Edinburgh University, there was still nothing on the market. So I went up and went about setting up uh, a company called Basecamp. Uh, we were the first ever company to work with the British Association of Ski Instructors in its 50-year history. And we were the first company to run these sort of winter-long instructor training uh, programs across Europe. So I spent 10 years, uh, most of my 20s, building out that business, trained over 2,000 ski and snowboard instructors in the process, we had a couple of camps in Europe, uh, Val d'Isere, Verbier, uh, Meribel, which is the heart of the Three Valleys. Um, we had some camps up in Whistler, in Banff. We did a season or two at Kicking Horse. Um, and then down in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, we ran camps out of New Zealand and Bariloche in Argentina. So that kind of got me into the ski industry uh, or, uh, and winter sports. I sold that business in 2011. Um, I've been working in tech startups since. And about two years ago, I just got 
you know, my I just got sort of I'm mean, as creative as, as tech startups are. It's all about ones and zeros. And I uh, sure. just wanted to sort of go back to my roots a bit, start sort of expressing myself a bit more freely. And I'd had this idea for for doing an action sports uh, clothing co- clothing uh, business. Um, uh, and Floa was born. <laughs> That's so interesting. So tell me, what, what about Floa is different than other sort of basewear brands? There's quite a few. I mean, any anyone who's a ski or snowboarder, there's there's a there's a decent amount of. Um, I mean, there's there's lots of activewear companies out there, um, and there's a decent amount of base layers. Uh, what we, what we've worked at very hard is is to try and get into that leading pack of of technical uh, base layer manufacturers. Um, I believe we've done that in in quite a short period of time and. There's no single uh, bullet or single USP. It's really about a package of, of, of capabilities. Um, we want to make our, our, our clothing and, and the, uh, uh, the, the active wear garments that we develop um, as technical as they can be. So uh, this is not just um, another base, an, another an apparel brand who's doing sort of you know run of the mill type of uh, creating run of the mill type of products. We put a huge amount of thought into every feature that we've designed, into the fabrics that we use, the the team that I've put together. I've tried to find the best people um, to help create the product. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 you know performance is at the heart of what we do, and and providing a technical garment to enable you to um, whether you're an elite athlete, you know, um, uh, reach as far as you can and and uh, achieve your goals uh, and podium and win. Whether you're an industry pro, whether you're, you know such as the mountain guide or instructor, and and enjoy your everyday, enjoy your lifestyle. Or whether you're a you know a holiday uh, skier or snowboarder who gets away a couple of times during the winter to to you know enjoy the great outdoors, we try to create um, a product that that enables you to do that, that gives you the best performance uh, in and in doing so. Uh, and you know, we, 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 as well as performance, we give a, a nice finish, a, sort of a luxury finish, as it were, as part of our sort of design signature. That's really interesting. So, how long did it take you to prototype um, your, at least your first round of product? Yeah, I um, gosh, I remember uh, going up to go and meet Al Gosling, owner of the Extreme Channel, uh, to get some words of advice before I before I got going. And he said, "Fergie, making that product is is damn hard, um, but when you come around to selling it, that's when the real business starts." Um, I think we probably spent a year developing our, our launch product, which uh, we call the backcountry base layer. Um, it's a seamless man- manufactured constructed garment. So it's actually made by a machine. Every stitch is computer programmed. Uh, and when you make a change higher up on the stitch, it has knock on repercussions lower down as, as, as you weave the garment. So it's very technical to make. Um, we've used a, a merino blended yarn. Um, so actually doing seamless with synthetic is quite straightforward. Doing it with a natural fiber like merino wool, which is very brittle, just in its fact, in, in its nature of being, uh, you know, uh, a natural product is really, it's really tough to make. So 
took a lot of planning um, to interpret the designs into prototypes and then obviously go through the prototype process to come out with a product that we're, we're, we were finally happy with. That's interesting. Now, you go through the process, you, you fine-tune your, your first product and you launch. What was, how well was it received? Did you start directly with trying to get into um, retail shops or did you go more the uh, direct-to-consumer route online? So we launched with a, a Kickstarter campaign, actually. Um, I think we ran that um, October, November 18. Um, and, you know, in the testing that we did before, we knew that, um, that base layers was probably not the, the most successful product category that you're going to get on a Kickstarter campaign. Um, but what, what it enabled us to do, and, and, you know, this is bread and butter to anyone who's, who's launching uh, new products or launching new startups is it just gave us a, a really strong focal point to pull the whole, uh, business around. So it gave us a deadline to, to get our, our manufacturing timeline, uh, uh, correct before the winter season. It gave us a rallying call to go out to friends and friends of friends, to hit up media, to hit up other um, stakeholders in the industry. Um, so it, it just was a really nice campaign to, 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 to launch our first product with. We were successfully funded, which was, which was a great milestone to hit. And that sort of got us on our way. Now, did you raise any money outside of the Kickstarter um round or was it all bootstrapped yeah so I, I put some of my own money in um we've we've taken on some angel investment from um a couple of angels over here in the uk i think one in europe and and one or two over in singapore actually um we found that most of our angels uh, uh are people who've got a bit of disposable income but either come from a um, a retail background or an apparel background um, or they're just lovers of the great outdoors and, and enjoy the sports that, that, you know, we're investing in. So we raised a bit of money, um, like any business, uh, particularly a product business, cash flow is always a, a huge challenge. So we've always keeping one eye on our fundraising strategy and we plan to do another round over, over the coming months or, or a bit later on this year. So, um, yeah, some of our money that we've raised has come from, um, pre-sales through through Kickstarter. Some of it's um, come through investors. A lot of it's come from just you know normal normal customers as well, which is always the best way. Sure. Now, a after the Kickstarter campaign, what was your strategy to really get the business out there um, and, and start selling the product? Well, I I mean I came from a background of knowing the the winter sports industry to a certain extent. Um, uh, what happens year one and what you plan and what, you know, between what happens and, and what you plan is always very different. Um, of course. Uh, our factory, I mean, the factory that we work with in Portugal is, is one of the leading factories for, in seamless manufacturing worldwide. The trouble is when you get into one of the leading factories and you're new, their newest and their smallest account, um, you always get knocked down the, uh, <laughs> knocked down the level of importance so we had our orders delayed two or three times because Nike were doing an extra run, Red Bull were doing another run. Um, and so we ended up not getting product till um, early January. Um, we aimed to get um, out and shipped at the start of the ski season, um, end of November, early December. Um, that kind of knocked back our, our digital marketing strategy for, for 
the first year to a certain extent. You know, we're working as a new business. You're working very hard to build credibility with media, um, with with uh, stakeholders in the industry, with the general public, and obviously doing what you say and delivering on that is a key part of it. Um, so that actually took up um, a huge amount of um, uh, our sort of the first half of our season was was shipping the product. Um, however, you know that said, you know getting an athlete team together is is I think is something that's really important and we're really chuffed on on what we did in year one our first athlete was a, a french rider um called richie perman um he made his name in the alaskan backcountry with matchstick uh he still skis the biggest big mountain lines that i i, I you know i see um obviously I, i'm not into as many of the North American riders as perhaps some of our um, North American audience are, but certainly from a European perspective, um, he's, you know, one of the big sort of top five, top 10 content athletes out there. Um, and we worked with Richie to build a team around him. Um, we've had some great feedback. Um, the British downhill men's uh, ski champion, Jack Gower, has come and joined on our team. We've got three or four other British athletes on the team as well. Um, Isaac Freeland, uh, who's on the Freeride World Tour this year, um, and I think just put some big lines down up and kicking horse. Yes, he was did. On our, <laughs> was, on our, was on our team. So, uh, yeah, building out an athletes and getting that kind of endorsement for athletes was a key part of our marketing um, we're also working with a whole bunch of industry folk as well. So so not just athletes, but um, mountain guides, ski instructors, ski schools. Um, they've all sort of supported us and endorsed the product. Um, you know, they're not going to be wearing it unless they don't think it's, it's a great product. Um, and the feedback that we've had from uh, and the validation that we've had from those areas of the industry has been fantastic. You know, we've had people saying it's the best base layer they've ever worn. It's awesome in the sun. It's awesome in the cold. It's great when you're hiking. It's great when you're descending. Um, I think one of the nicest compliments we had was someone, uh, an owner of a ski school in Maribel called Marmalade. Um, he was like, you don't even know that you're wearing a base layer. That's how good it is. <laughs> um, so, I, so I guess, you know, in terms of marketing, getting that influencer and that sort of industry engagement right is key. You know, in terms of digital marketing and building out Instagram, Facebook, um, email marketing, that's all very much a work in progress. But but um, obviously that took up a huge part of year one as well. For sure. Now, with running a business in the outdoor space, how do you keep sustainability sort of front and center, especially when you're manufacturing a product? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. I, I actually, you know, I still do a bit of work in tech and um, the work that I do is in sustainable cities. Um, I hosted uh, an event on this um, before Christmas, actually, and was very fortunate to interview a, a lady called Delia Dimitriou, who um, won the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize alongside Al Gore. Um, for her work uh, in aviation. So this is something right at the forefront of, you know, of, of my work, not just Flower as well. Um, you know, and even though we're small, we've got to make sure that our contribution is a positive one. So, um, you know, working with uh, the right supply chain is a key part of that. So the seamless factory that I mentioned 
um, earlier down in Portugal. Um, they've just applied for a certification to say that they're um, powered by 100% renewable energy. 80% of that is solar. Um, the other factory that we work with down in Portugal, um, they made Usain Bolt's running kit for the last Olympics, um, and they work with about 40 Olympic associations. So they have a huge um, a, a sort of systemized approach to, to, to sort of sustainability, and that's looking at their whole business up and down about processes uh, and making sure that they're efficient and, and optimizing where they can. Um, we actually source um, the majority of our fiber, uh, of our yarn and our fabric from a, a big German, uh, the largest German um, supplier called Sudvilla. I mean, if you think Adidas and that, that whole industry in, in southern Germany, um, they're, they're, you know, the, one of the fat cornerstones of that um, whole ecosystem. They have their own sheep farm out in Australia, which has a blue system design mark. What the blue system mark means is not just the wool is sustainable, but the whole farm on which the wool is matured is oh, sustainable as well. So, um, you know, we've done what we can. We, we're, we're, you know, we know that we've got to do more and that we're on a journey and that this is a process. This isn't just a one-off event. Um, but given the limited resources that we've had, I, I'd like to think that we started off in, in the right approach. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll look to re we're always looking to review and, and improve, um, improve that as we learn more about the business and, and grow the business. What would you say has been one of the hardest parts about starting Floa? I, I mean, the hardest part—it's—it's—it's it's, it's just been full on the first two years. I mean, I, the huge part of my first year was was getting the right team in place. Um, Sean uh, Pankhurst, who's our designer, he's a British designer, but he worked over in America with Nike for seven years. He's designed World Cup soccer shirts for for Pat, for France, for Portugal. Um, he and he's worked with a number of other sportswear brands as well. Getting him on board, you know, took probably a month or two months to to go through a, a proper recruitment uh, and uh, process. Um, the same in terms of our product development team. Um, I actually went out to market twice because I wasn't happy with the shortlist after the first um, round of outreach. But again, that took about two or three months to find Heather and her product team. You know, they've launched Castor into the market, which is what Andy Murray, the British tennis player, is now wearing and has invested in. They launched, launched Rafa into the market, which the Walmart family ended up buying for about 200 mil uh, a couple of years ago. So they've got a, a great pedigree in, in technical sportswear. But building, getting the right people around the business is, is took up a huge amount of the first year. Um, and obviously you're doing that while trying to drive revenue, um, trying to get the product right, trying to set up you know, new systems and new processes. So it's all pretty full on. Um, I'd say in regard to Floa specifically in winter sports, it's, um, it has some pretty unforgiving characteristics. And, and this is everything that I knew before getting into the business. But, you know, your, your sales season is, is November through to March. Um, so it's a five, six month sales season. Um, so if you don't, if you're not right in November, um, you've got little chance of recorre <laughs> recorrecting it. Um, so it makes the off season really important. Um, and, and, uh, and I guess you don't have, uh, unlike other businesses, you don't have the chance to, um, recorrect things if you don't get them right. Um, that 
it's interesting you asked about um you know uh direct to consumer we also do a lot uh, with our retail uh retail and 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 wholesale partners as well and interestingly that sales season is the same one as the consumer <laughs> sales season interesting <laughs> we just we were just down at ISPO, which is the largest sportswear trade show worldwide in Munich a couple of weeks ago, um, speaking to lots of European retailers and distributors um, about orders for next winter. So we find ourselves in a situation where we're trying to fight uh, to, to engage our audience uh, and bring in new customers in terms of digital and e-com this winter at the same time as is as, uh, trying to develop relationships for wholesale and retail for next winter. So it's, uh, it's a pretty full on winter. Um, I haven't been on snow yet. Oh <laughs> man. Wasn't idea, which wasn't the idea when I started. Of course. Um, so I guess that's, that's sort of that cyclical nature of, um, winter sports is, has been challenging. Um, I'd also say that, you know, we're a product business. Financing inventory is 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 um, always going to be tough, and managing cash flow, um, which is different to a tech business, which I've been in over the last couple of years. So, just getting your fundraising and your financial strategy aligned with your commercial strategy and aligned with your product development strategy um, has taken a lot more work than we thought. Um, you know, we'll. we'll we got very close to getting it all right for this winter, but there are a few things that, um, you know, we've learned since, but it'll probably have taken us three winters, you know, going into next winter, I think we'll really sort of finally be in the flow and have a nice pattern to our, to our winter and to our season that we're happy with, that we can plan effectively in advance for, and that we can execute on to the best of our abilities. For sure. I was going to say, it sounds like you have plenty of free time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd like more. I'd like more. I, you know, you, 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 it, launching a business is always a bit of a leap of faith. Um, you know, I'm really happy with the work that we're doing. I think we're doing quality work. Um, the feedback we're getting um, it certainly points in that direction. So we're just keeping our, our our feet on the ground, working as hard as we can, and hopefully it all uh, it all pay off in in the long run. And uh, We'll be going off shooting content in far-flung places of the world, like Russia or Cam uh, like Kamchatka in Russia, or like AK, um, and uh, those will be the moments when all the hard work's paid off. That's for sure. I can totally understand that. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be here before you know it. Um, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space or really just a business in general? Well, I mean, the Americans, you know, I've learned a lot of you guys, um, you know, learning through doing, you know, obviously that that sort of um, uh, agile um, methodology um, to startups is, is something that I, I uh, spent a lot of time researching um, when I was getting into starting up businesses a, a, a while back. So I think I think, um, you know, learning by doing giving it a go is 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 a must. Um, I think you can be smart how you do that, though, um, you know, taking lots of small steps, trying to sort of set quite rigid milestones in the ground a long way out because your market's always going to change. What you understand and your insight uh, that you, you develop is always going to evolve. So don't be too hard on yourself. Just take lots of small steps. Um, keep on learning. Keep on growing. Making sure that the business is always alive. 
um, you know, keeping that cash flow in, 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 in the positive is, is key. Um, uh, and I think also, um, you know, you've got to enjoy it, you know, flower as I, as I mentioned is, is about being in flow. Um, there's quite a lot of sort of performance or sports science, um, come through in the last, uh, five, 10 years on what being in flow means. We've, we've got a nice, um, uh, blog series up on our website, flowersports.com that, that sort of outlines our approach to that. But I think you've got to enjoy what you do being, you know, so you've got to be at one with yourself. You've got to be happy. Um, and if you are, then I think you're going to create good work. Um, and that's all you can ask of yourself. I think that's really good advice and, and really smart. And it makes it so that when you work as hard as you do, it's not as difficult as opposed to just some regular job, right? That requires that 80 plus hour work week. Um, if it's something that you really do enjoy, that you do love and you feel like is making a positive impact, while it is still challenging and difficult, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it does make it a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that passion is, is um, you know, what, what gets you through all those hard hours, is, as you say, um, in startups. Um, it's important to keep it in check and make sure that, you know, you're not just being passion led and that you're actually metric based and that you're you're moving forward with your business in, in a considered way rather than just purely an emotional way. But um, uh, having that passion for what you do is, is um, well, it, whether, you know, whether it's work or otherwise, it makes life, you know, uh, it gives life its meaning. Well, that is for sure. So you, you mentioned this a little bit in the beginning of the episode. Um, where do you see Floa in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Yeah, so we're, um, you know, we're working very hard at um, making the best base layers that we can. Um, I think we got off to a really good start, but there's, uh, you know, we're always learning more about how we can tweak things um, on the product side, on the business side. So, you know, base one for step one for us is is becoming a leader in base layers um, that, uh, you know, I think the product development is is going very nicely. And I would back our product, against, um, you know, any of the competitors out there. So I think now that over the next sort of um, 12, 18 months, we've got to work on telling that story. Um, and, and getting more people to hear about us, getting um, more points of sale with retail partners um, uh, and sort of becoming part of the, the fabric of, of the, the ski and snowboard industry. Um, if we manage to achieve that, then I think um, we would have earned the right to diversify into other products um, and other sports. Um, you know, probably in 2021, we might start looking at a spring summer collection. So, you know, whether that's... Um, kit for yoga or running or trail hiking um, or some of those sort of summer flow sports. Um, so that's, I think, a nice milestone that we've got on the horizon that will give us annual sales, year-round sales, um, but also um, uh, allow us to sort of reach into some of the other activities that, that we're really passionate about. Um, again, if we execute well on that, um, you know, we'll then start becoming a multi-product, multi-sport, um, active wear business. And, and it's about growing that sensibly, uh, a year, you know, year on year, um, trying to consolidate in some of the markets that we have a good presence in. Um, you know, we're, we're going on a big push across Europe at the moment. So opening up some of the, um, DAC, uh, 
or German-speaking uh, countries uh, or French-speaking countries as well. So building out relationships um, with influencers, with media, with retailers in those markets. Um, and obviously, we'd, we'd uh, love to hop across the pond and, and get a bit more of a presence in North America and, and expand over there. So so that's our goal. Um, it might all change. You never know. But um, that's sort of the direction of travel. It sounds like you get a nice... Uh... Uh, big plate <laughs> ahead of you. Um, one question that I just thought of in, in sort of the idea of expanding throughout Europe, it must be at least somewhat challenging um, to put together sales cam- sales and marketing campaigns in all the different languages. Because like I think about the U.S. being based here, everyone speaks English for the most part. So it's like, okay, you just advertise in English. Does that get tricky <laughs> doing that in Europe? Yeah, well, you know, the work that I've done in tech startups and advising how, um, you know, tech startups at Series A or B to to internationalize, you've got to internationalize for language, you've got to internationalize for culture, you've got to internationalize for regulation. Um, You know, if you look at sort of affiliate marketing, for example, I mean, I know in the US, you know, every state has got its own sales tax. Um, But if you look at Europe, you know, you only look at sort of some of the affiliate platforms um and distribute in you know you can only distribute in germany for example if you've got a german warehouse um so it's not just language it's 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 the whole package and yeah europe is a more intricate market in which to scale um so yeah i mean very simply at ispo i you know we would we had german press releases that we were that we were sending out and i went on to upwork and got those translated into german right so that's kind of the tip of the iceberg in a way but then you've got to go and find a german pr agency um you've got to uh, get a german sales team of some sorts approaching retailers so yeah it does have those boundaries um uh so it is a bit more challenging and it's more work to scale but um i guess the flip side of that is if you do manage to enter successfully and you you manage to build a, a market position then that can also work a bit in terms of defensibility as well so That's a good point. Um, if it was if it was easy everyone would do it um so if you manage to do something hard then uh, i think that's a feather in your cap that's a fair point. It's a good way to look at it. And um, for anyone listening to this episode before March 4th, you can actually enter to win a base layer kit from um, Floa. And uh, you just have to head over to readyeddy.com for your chance to win. And with that, Fergie, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and the story of, of Floa. And I'm excited to see what you guys um, do down the road. Great. Well, it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's an honour to be part of the giveaway. Um, uh, I appreciated the approach, Josh, and uh, yeah, looking forward to doing more business with you guys going forward. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.